am I? We're going to investigate where we are with a number of things. Uh, and each Sunday we'll take a journey to try to ask ourselves a sobering question in regard to where each of us may be. Where am I? And today we begin with a very important question. Where am I with God? Where am I with God? I want you to say that with me. Where am I with God? I think it's very important that we examine where we are with God. I believe the Lord is coming soon. I believe I'll stand before Him one day. And I want Him to smile at me in that moment. I may say, well, I got upset. I did this or I did that. But the fact of the matter is, I need to ask myself an important question at the end of every day. Where am I with God? Because it doesn't matter what others may say or whatever may be socially acceptable. I'm going to answer to Him one day. I'm going to answer to Him one day. I'm not going to answer to all of you or a district board or a church board, although those are very important governing bodies that we submit to authority in our present life. But one day, I'm going to ultimately answer to the Lord. I want to do it without any shame. I want to be able to stand in His presence. Somebody say amen. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 is where we'll begin today in answering the question, or at least asking ourselves, where am I with God? Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, Lord, and the privilege we have to know you and to know your word. Lord, we are very blessed today. I thank you for every person that's here. Lord, I pray for each saint of God, every guest, young and old, I pray that there would be something that would sweep across this auditorium. And that something would be the mighty Spirit of God. We pray, Lord, that every heart that's cold would be heated up. We pray that every saint of God that's discouraged would be encouraged. We pray, Lord, your word would not return void. We know it's a promise. It will accomplish the work that you sent it to do. We submit ourselves today, Lord, in your presence to allow you to do your work in our hearts and lives. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 3, we encounter one of those great questions of God. He did not ask them uh, where are Adam, and it's interesting, and I won't focus on it. I'll focus on it in later weeks. But the Lord God said to Adam, it's interesting that he was speaking to a, a specific person. As he came in the cool of the evening, he came looking for Adam and said to him, where art thou? And he did not ask this question because he did not know 
where they were. But he asked so that the person he was addressing would consider where they were. It's almost as if he is saying, Adam, do you know where you are? And thus he asked Adam, where art thou? We find where he asked a few chapters later, he asked Adam's son, Cain, where is your brother? He knew where Abel was. Cain had killed him. He knew exactly what had happened, but God is not asking Cain where his brother is because God has lost track of Abel. He is asking Cain, do you know where your brother is? We find where in the life of Elijah, the Bible tells us that Elijah came unto a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord found him in that cave. He was hiding, but the word of the Lord found him. The word of the Lord knows how to find us wherever we are. And the word of God came to Elijah and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? He's not asking Elijah because he doesn't know what he's doing. He knows he's hiding. But God is asking this question to spur the hearer to consider what he's doing. Cain, consider where your brother is. Adam, do you know where you are? So it's a good question that we should periodically ask ourselves. Where am I? Where am I? What am I doing here? Where is my brother? This is the record of the first fear in Genesis chapter 3. The first blush. The first hiding. The first self-concealment. You see, man had always enjoyed communion with God. He walked with God. He delighted in the voice of God. But disobedience unclothed the conscience of a man. And more than just being physically naked, he was spiritually naked. It opened up his conscience. And fig leaves would never, and they were a vain effort to cover what had happened spiritually to Adam. Fig leaves would never cover the nakedness that had come because of what Adam and Eve had done. And notice after man had sinned, the question is not, Oh God, where are you? Please notice that Adam did not go through the garden saying, Oh God, where are you? That's what should have happened. What should have happened is Adam should have gone up and down throughout the entire garden crying out, God, I need you. My wife and I have eaten of the forbidden tree, and we need your help. But I want you to notice the first call was not from Adam saying, Oh God, I've made a mistake. The first call is the voice of grace that said, Oh sinner, where are you? Oh Adam, where are you? That's important because it emphatically testifies to us today that God is the one that is seeking us. Oh, you need to be encouraged today. Some of you feel like, well, I've made too many mistakes or I've done too many things. But I want you to know God is still seeking you today. He's still trying to find you this morning. Oh, come on, let's praise the Lord. Clap unto the Lord. 
Amen. And you know as well as I do that doctrine, despite all the doctrines which, uh, which maybe proud and free will people have, have generated to, to ease their own conscience, uh, there has never been found from Adam's day until right now a sinner who first sought his God. No, in fact, the Bible tells us that it's the lamb that strays. It's the sheep that wanders off. And it will never return without the good shepherd saying, I'm going looking for that one that wandered off. Oh, I know we think, well, we get it all straightened out and here we, we're going to go to church and we're going to get our lives straightened out and preacher, I'm here looking for God, but I want you to know no man comes to God unless the spirit draws him. God's been looking for you. God's looking for us. And I want to focus on three fundamental truths here today. Fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. This is very important because man was made for fellowship with God. And then I want to deal with what happened after that fellowship was broken. It's called separation. And sin separates from God. But thank God the story doesn't end there. The next thing that happened was reconciliation. In other words, God comes seeking for man. He wants to reconcile. He wants to work this thing out. So let's begin with fellowship. You see, it's the Spirit that seeks to communicate with us. Psalms 42, David says, As the heart or the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Job said in the middle of his great crisis of life, he said, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. I would search for him. These are the cries of the spirit of a man that says, I'm looking for God. But the fact of the matter is, the spirit in a man that tries to communicate, if God did not like that desire, we would never, ever seek God. In fact, George Matheson uh, in Moments on the Mount, he, and I quote, he made this statement. It is only in the cool of the day that I can hear your footsteps, O oh my God. You are ever walking in the garden. Your presence is abroad everywhere and always. But it is not everywhere or always that I can hear you passing by. The burden and heat of the day are too strong for me. The struggles of life excite me. The ambitions of life perturb me. The glitter of life dazzle me. It is all thunder and earthquake and fire. But when I myself am still, I catch your still small voice. And then I know that you are God. Your peace can only speak to my peacefulness. Your rest can only be audible to my calm. The harmony of your tread cannot be heard by the discord of mine own soul. Therefore, at times, I would be alone with you away from the heat of the battle. I would feel the cool breath of your spirit that I may be refreshed once more for the strife. I would be fanned by the breeze 
breezes of heaven that I may resume the dusty road and the sorrowful way. Not to avoid them do I come to you, but that I may be able more perfectly to bear them. Let me hear your voice in the garden in the cool of the day. That's why we're here today. Not to get out of our trouble, but to be able to go through our trouble. That's why I need this moment in the garden, not not to to all my worries to dissipate, but to hear his voice and to spend some moments with him so that I might bear the heat of the day, so that I might walk another walk of faith. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. That's why it's so important what goes on in this service today. That's why somewhere in this service, whether it's in the choir singing or the praise team singing or the preacher preaching or in the altar service, at some point in this service, the Spirit of God needs to come down and minister to people and work on people and talk to people. I'm praying that it takes place here today. Where heaven comes down and speaks to us. The meeting of two worlds, eternal and temporal. Where I come boldly into the throne room of grace. It's where two or three are gathered together in my name that I am in the midst of him. I'm here to tell somebody, God is here today. And as contrary as it may be to religious circles today, God's not here because we're seeking for him. No, he's here seeking for us. (laughs) And then I must deal with, as I go forward, not only uh, the fellowship that was lost, I must deal with the separation. This statement that God makes to Adam, where art thou? It shows that man is lost. Lost. Where are you, Adam? And the first sin of Adam and Eve was a type of all sins. They all grow out of a common root, a common place. It was the revolt against pressure, against the rules or the regulations. One rule God made, don't eat of that tree right there in the center of the garden. But they couldn't handle that. They were tempted to push the regulations. They were tempted to push the requirement. And so the shortest definition of sin, you know what, you want to know what sin is? The shortest definition is, I will, I will. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus shows us how to submit to the plan and the rule and the, and the, and the plan of God when he says, not my will, but thy will be done. The shortest definition of sin is, I will. This is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. And sin, that will, alters the relationship between a man and his God. And all of a sudden, a cloud comes in. And God and man are no longer in a place of fellowship. They are separated. I want to tell you, Adam and Eve were no bigger sinners than we are. 
Adam and Eve were no bigger sinners than anybody sitting in this room. They were just the first. That's the only difference. They were the first to sense shame. All of you have experienced shame. They were the first to hide themselves. All of you have tried to hide yourself. Their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. They knew they were deficient. They knew they were lost. Everybody in here knows where they are with God right now. We don't need a preacher to ask us. Everybody knows the answer to that. That if the Lord came right now, you'd be ready to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Or you know that you haven't done so well and you're hoping that at some point in time you'll get it straightened out. I've come to tell you today, Jesus is looking for you. Today's your day of salvation. Now is your accepted time. Oh, let's worship the Lord for just a moment. Come on, let's worship Him right now. There was a sense of shame. Everybody say shame. Everybody say shame, shame. How many ever felt shameful? Absolutely all across this room. But not only that, then there came a second thing that even if the first shame was not damaging enough, then comes uh, right behind that. A great sense of fear. This was the tragedy of the Garden of Eden. Not just that they realized they had made a mistake. But all of a sudden they were afraid. Those hiding figures. It was the tragedy of the sin of Eden. It wasn't so much that they had partaken. Although absolutely it began uh, the process of what we experience today. Paul said because one man sinned, we all became sinners. But the tragedy is not just the sin. It's the fear they were hiding. Yesterday they were in the presence of God and he was their delight. The flowers were more beautiful. The the garden was more beautiful. The harmony was more beautiful. Yet today they are in fear. They're afraid of something. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Sin gave us a spirit of fear. Oh, you're not hearing me now. I don't know what time it was last night in the middle of the night. Uh, I haven't told any of my family this, but in the middle of the night, you know when you come awake uh, normally, I don't don't know why you come awake, but I come awake kind of gradually. I come awake like the sunrise. It just kind of creeps over the horizon. I just kind of creep out of sleep. Don't you hate these people that they're snoring one minute and the next minute they jump up and they're already cleaning the house and... No, I, sh- I shouldn't say I hate, I don't hate those people. It's just, I don't understand that. You know, I've got to, you know, just kind of get started slowly. How many, that's the way you are. You kind of get started slowly. Yep. Well, last night wasn't that way. I don't know what time it was, and I eventually went on back to sleep. My alarm went off early this morning, and I woke up slowly again. <laughs> but somewhere in the middle of the night, I was instantly awakened. And my first thought was, God, did you wake me up? So I laid there sensitive. He's done that before. But I didn't hear his voice. 
So my second thought was, somebody's in the house. I don't wake up like this. I heard something. I had to have heard something. Something woke me up. What did I hear? So I have one of those sleep machines. You know, it makes that noise. And I think, well, if I heard something, it had to be loud enough to drown out the sleep machine. So I'll reach over and I turn the machine down a little bit and I start listening. In my head, my back is to the bedroom door. In my head, somebody's coming up the stairs. I start thinking, where is that machete? I kid you not. I got a machete my sister brought back. Uh, uh, she went on a missions trip. And I'm telling you, that thing could slice through this pulpit right here. It's so sharp. I start thinking, where's that machete? Stuff starts crawling up my back because I know somebody's about to open the door of my bedroom. Look in. I start thinking, it literally goes through my mind. No, if somebody's in here, I think Shayla would have screamed by now. I'll lay here till I hear Shayla scream. And then I'll get up. I kid you not, I started thinking about going in her room and somebody standing in her room, what I was going to do, which way I would tackle them. I already started figuring it out in my head. I, I literally rolled over, well, I shouldn't say literally because I can't say figuratively, can I? So I didn't literally roll over, I just rolled over. Trying to get that straight. The English teachers in my life are trying to straighten me out. I, I rolled over thinking if, I, if somebody is going to come in here, I'm at least going to be facing whoever walks in this door. And I laid there, I don't know how long, 30 minutes, 45, an hour, hour and a half, I don't know, thinking about who's in this house. It's fear. It gets a hold of all of us. The fear of being forsaken. The fear of somebody taking advantage of us. Fear of somebody getting something that's mine. Fear of somebody taking my very life. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Fear began when man sinned before God and all of a sudden he experienced fear for the first time. I want to tell you today, you don't have to be afraid in the presence of God. One of the biggest tragedies of humanity is we're afraid God's mad. And some people display Jesus that way. He's the mad God and he's getting ready to straighten you out. But I want you to know one day he will be the lion. But he's not that right now. He is the lamb of God that takes away... He wants to take away your sin. He wants to take away your sorrow. He wants to take away your burdens. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. Our sins are sinful. They're evil. They're poisonous. They are fatal. Though, And many of them sometimes are transfigured into an angel of light. But the fact of the matter is sin produces fear. And, and all of a sudden Adam and Eve are hiding. The Bible says the man and his wife hid themselves. 
That's what man has been doing ever since. Man has been trying to hide from God. Man has been trying to lead separate, independent lives from God. In fact, the Bible speaks of Cain when he went out from the presence of God. He killed his brother. He would not repent. And the Bible tells us he went out from the presence of the Lord. And the Bible says that Cain would flee even when no man was pursuing. He lived his entire life thinking somebody is sneaking up the stairs. What torture can a man live in? And that's what sin will do to him. Afraid of everything. God has not called us to fear. God has called us to boldness. You don't have to hang your head today and be ashamed. God is not calling you to rat you out. He's calling you so that you will come boldly to his presence. Oh, come on, praise him right now. Oh, hallelujah. Where am I? Where am I? See, we want to run away. We're so scared. We start running. We don't know how far we're going to run or where we're running to. We're just running. We're afraid. After all, if we're not careful, even in this church, we have a form of godliness. We can go through the ceremony. We can sing the songs. We know what we're supposed to do at this moment or that moment. And if we're not careful, we have a form of godliness. But we deny the power. Yet it is as easy to hide from God. The Bible says something I want you to notice. It says they hid amongst the trees. Say that with me. They hid amongst the trees. You know it's just as easy to hide among the pillars of the church. As it is to hide amongst the trees of the garden. You say, well, Brother Gene, there's, there's somebody out deer hunting today. They didn't come to church at all. No, they're hiding in the trees. And you're hiding in the church. It's just as easy to hide on the front row as it is to hide on the back row. I'm not here to argue with you about, well, at least I'm here today. You ought to just be glad I'm here. No, I've come to ask you a very important question. Where are you? Where are you with God? Does His voice excite you? Does His voice light you up? Are you here to find Him? Any kind of church work we can get involved with. There are people that could in fact be busy in the church of the living God, but yet they're a long way from the Lord. So let me draw to a close today. I've talked about the the fellowship that man had with God, the sin that broke that fellowship. Let me end the story today with the good part, the reconciliation, the coming back together. See, man was afraid. He had sinned and he knew it. He was naked. Something had happened. All of a sudden his conscience was awakened and he felt like he needed to cover. And he hid himself. So God comes. Where are you? I said it early. Man does not cry out 
oh God, help us. No, it's God that inquires about the erring child. In fact, Jesus said it. He said, you did not choose me. This is, this is so against religion in our world today. You know, we, well, I'm here because I, I chose him and I choose to be a Christian. And I No, Jesus said, you didn't choose me. You're only saved because I chose you. If I hadn't chosen you, if I hadn't reached for you, you'd still be alone. You'd still be hiding. Oh, but thank God for the moment that he put his hand on us. Thank God for the moment that he said, I'm not ashamed of you. Thank God for the moment that he said, I know you messed up. Oh, clap your hands under the Lord. I I don't have time. I I, I don't want to take a lot of time, but I do want you to consider that he threw them out of the garden. You remember that, right? The, The ground was cursed. The serpent was cursed. The woman was cursed. And the man was cursed. And and he he put them out of the gardens. And the reason was so that they would not eat of the tree of life and perish as a sinner. And the Bible said he put an angel with a flaming sword. Everybody okay? An angel with a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life. In other words, if a man ever tried to get into eternal life, he was going to be slain by the flaming sword. The only way to have access was to be slain by that flaming sword. And there was no way for Adam to get back to that place where he had been or he would have experienced death. And he did. Eventually he died. There is only one that came that could approach the flaming sword and yet render him dead. But yet he's not dead any longer. He is alive. Oh my God. His name is Jesus. He's the one that has made the way of escape. I don't have to die the way I entered. I don't have to leave this world the way I was born. I can be a new creature. I can fellowship with him. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. And the first step. It's amazing because I remember, I remember sitting in church services and my mother, thank God for my mother, she made me sit on the first or the second row. I had a choice of where to sit in church, the first or the second row. Thank God for that kind of mother. I've been in church services that I wasn't paying attention. My mother was sitting on the organ in front of 1,200 people. And I caught attention enough to just look up and she's waving out in the audience, you, you, come here, you. And I'm like, me? Yeah, I'm, I'm her only son. She has no other sons. And I'm sitting there going, me, me? And I said, no, not right now. She goes, yeah, right now, you come here. She's playing away, one hand on the organ and the other hand saying, you, come here, come here. 
And I walk up there and I say, what do you want? She goes, you're going to sit right by me the rest of this service. And I spent services sitting on the, on the organ bench by my mother. That wasn't the end of it. When I got home, I couldn't sit down for a while. You call it abuse. I call it mercy. Lord have mercy. Come up here and sit by me. I begin to think about when I would sit on the, on the choice of where I want to sit in church, the front or the first or second row. I remember services where my pastor was preaching and every time he would point, it looked like his finger was right there at the end of my nose. I remember services where some of you can't wait till I get done, can you? Because dinner's calling you. But I remember services where I couldn't wait until he said the altar's open. Do you want to come talk to God? <laughs> I remember as a little boy, now, now everybody else was getting the Holy Ghost, the Spirit was baptizing everybody, I was a late bloomer. I remember as a little boy just being in the altar for so long, seeking God. And you know, I always thought, some, somewhere in my mind, I thought, you know, I went to the altar. I stepped out. I responded. But you know, that's not the, that's not the truth. Well, I, oh, I did. I had to have responded. Or I would not have come. But the first step was not made by me. <laughs> the first step was made by him. In fact, looking back, I'll have to tell you that while my pastor was preaching and the Word of God was going forth, it was like I could hear him saying, Come on. Come on. I love you. Come on. Come on. I can help you. I can hear that. Jesus said, We love Him because... So worship service is not a monotony. I don't have to stand or sit or shout or raise my hand. I don't have to do anything. No, what happens in this room is a response to what He has already done in my life. So pardon me if I get emotional. Pardon me if I begin uh, to get a little excited. But I'm telling you, His love is more to me than all this world. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord right now. Come on. He cries out, where are you? That suggests that man's lost. We don't inquire for something. Usually nobody looks for their keys until they lose them. The shepherd is not inquiring about sheep because they are in the fold. No, they're lost. That's why he's looking. It contains a promise of mercy. If mercy was not intended, then he would not come saying, Adam, where are you? Mercy is intended. Listen, people hide when they hear the voice of God. They think, oh, he's going to be. No, he's not mad. He's calling because he intends to be merciful. 
It blows my mind when people say, oh, don't mess around with the altar. That's kind of weird stuff. Don't, don't call me into it. Don't, don't open this service for prayer. Let's just let them kind of do what they want. No, the voice of God that says, where are you? Is intended for mercy's sake. I don't know about you, but I think I ought to give mercy an opportunity in this church today. I ought to celebrate the voice of God calling you. I want him to speak to you. I want him. I'm telling you, I've been in services where God's call was so distinct and loud. I've seen men run. What is the effect of God's question? Where are you? We think, oh, he's coming to straighten me out. No. No, he's come to bring mercy. So today, when a man sins, you know what he should do? He should run to church and run to the altar and say, God, I need your help. But the devil is very clever. And he knows the way of our conscience. So he will give you all kinds of reasons why you shouldn't come. He'll make you think you, 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 you deserve to have happiness, so go on and live the way you want. It won't hurt you. There's nothing wrong with it. Then as soon as you do that, you know what he does? He begins to accuse you. Yeah, he encourages you to live the way you want. And the minute you do, he starts accusing you. He's doing it in this service right now. He says, how could you do that? You've messed up so many times and you call yourself a Christian. What will people think if you raise your hand? How could you even go to church and face all those people? He is a liar. God is in this room saying, Adam, where are you? Oh, come on. Oh, somebody give him praise now. And I close. It's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) That physically, physically, no one has ever seen his own face. No one has ever physically seen their own face. It's only revealed to you through some kind of reflection. You would never know what you look like if you didn't see a reflection on the water before mirrors, on the water or a mirror or a picture. Otherwise, You would never know what you look like. And the same is true spiritually. We have no idea what our spiritual image is like until it is revealed to us. And that is one purpose of the Word of God. As James says, it is a mirror. And another mirror is hearing the preaching of the Word of God. Sometimes we're told by somebody else, God's calling. You'd never see it unless there was a mirror put in front of you and you could look at your own appearance or condition. So what is God saying to you today? 
He's saying, take a look at yourself. I want you to hear the word of God. And I want you to answer, where am I? In Genesis 3 and 21, And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make, listen, the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. Genesis 3.21 is the first gospel sermon. Who is it preached by? It's preached by God himself. It's not in words. It's in a simple action. God took coats of skin and clothed them. And in doing that, he was in a way showing us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. It was a wonderful illustration of the innocent dying in the place of the guilty. He was trying to show Adam and Eve there is going to be a lamb that's going to take away and cover your sin. It was the Lord God who furnished those skins. He made coats for our first parents. They did nothing. They did nothing at all. God did all of it. They were entirely passive in the entire process. And the same truth is present here today. You can't do anything to cover your sin. But Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But He washed it white as snow. Oh. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I've got a right to praise him today. I've got a right to come boldly today. If they would, I want them to get Isaiah 61 verse 10. I want them to put it up on the screen because well would we be today if we were to sing the song of this verse. Isaiah 61 and verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Thank you, Lord. You see, preferring ignorance does not cure a cancer. Stifling pain doesn't prolong your life. Taking sleeping pills will never postpone tomorrow and the word of God goes to work it's active it isn't a study of literature it is God talking to you as surely as he was talking to Adam Adam where art thou and nobody will have to tell you that you're in the wrong place his word knows how to find you I'm asking you today to examine your own heart I want you to stand with me if you can. And I want you just to bow your head, close your eyes. Our singers are gathering today to sing a song of invitation. The altar is fixing to open. And I want it to open for whosoever will, let him come. Make no mistake about it, I'm giving mercy a chance to call you now. I'm giving the voice of grace the chance to call you out of your chair so that you can make your way to an altar and say, Lord... I want my life to be clean. I want my heart to be right. There are young men in this service that need to find a place of repentance. There are old men in this place today that need to find a place of repentance. Each one of us finding a place to come away with God.